0: Hey guys, thanks for checking out this episode of The John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of The John Campia Show on YouTube. This is the episode that was recorded on Tuesday, April the 28th, 2020, titled, Ranking the Most Anticipated of the 5 MCU Films of 2022. And now, let's get to the show. (laughs) Let's start off with our first main topic today. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Maximus H., who writes... Uh, Just like you, I wasn't really a fan of the Halloween franchise until I saw Halloween 2018. And I've been eagerly awaiting for the sequel, Halloween Kills. But with pretty much every film being pushed back, do you think Halloween Kills will follow? Let me try this again. Do you think Hollywood Kills will follow and also be pushed back to October of 2021, which would also push back the final film in the new trilogy to 2022? Or do you think they stick to their October 2020 release date? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, listen, unpopular opinion. But if you guys have been watching the show for any a period of time, you've probably heard me say this before. A little bit of an unpopular opinion. I don't like the Halloween movies. I, I remember... There was a a bunch of years ago I went over to my friend Serena She was having like this viewing party And we're going to watch the original Halloween It's been a long time since I've seen the original Halloween And I watched the the original Halloween again And and I'm I'm in the minority Much like I'm in the minority on Blade Runner The original Blade Runner I'm not a fan of the original Blade Runner I'm not a fan of the original Halloween And I know that's sacrilegious to say I'm not a fan of the original Halloween And I haven't liked any of the Halloween films As a matter of fact So then the new Halloween comes out Right, Uh, 2018, I guess. And I did think the trailers looked pretty good. I thought the trailers looked pretty good, so I thought, okay, maybe there's some potential here. There might be some potential here. And I went and I watched the new Halloween, and I loved it. Uh, First time that I have wholeheartedly loved a Halloween film. I I really, really dug it a lot. I thought it was great. So obviously, a lot of us very excited about the idea of a follow-up of a sequel, Halloween Kills. So what happens to it? Does Halloween Kills the Blumhouse you know, follow-up to this big successful thing, by the way, made an ass load of money as well. Does it suffer the same fate and get pushed back to 2021? It's hard to say right now, being where we are, but here's my guess. I think it stays where it is. Because listen, we talk a lot about Tenant, right? Tenet, warner brothers and christopher nolan right now are holding firm on their july you know late july uh release date for Tenet. they believe the theaters will be back open uh they're going to have the theaters to themselves they believe they can do something good there they're going to hold on to july now july is still like three months away a little under three months away right now we're a little under three months from when tenant is supposed to come out that's a long ways away right now so it's, it's difficult for us to say where things are going to be at that time. We're going to have a much clearer picture. You know, we've said this before. We're going to have a much clearer picture on where we're at on where we're going to be, say, in mid-May or early June. We're going to have a much better picture. But for now, we'll see what happens. But October, the release date for Halloween Kills right now is like three months beyond Tenant. So we're like six months away from that. Now, Will everything be 100% back to normal come October of 2020? I, I don't know. I doubt it. I doubt we will be 100% back to normal. But will theaters be open again by October? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, July, I think so, but I'm not really sure. By October, I have very, very little doubt that the theaters will be open again by October. Um, is it 100% ironclad guarantee? Of course not. But I feel pretty confident that the theaters will be open again by October. And if Tenet does hold its release date, and if Mulan does hold its release date, then it's not like Halloween is going to be the first new film out of the gate either. So I got to say, while there is a lot still that we need to see, and there's more developments going on as we go, and we're going to know more a month from now than we do today, but as of right now, I don't see any reason for them to consider moving uh, Halloween out of October of 2020. I just don't see any need for it. Now, I agree that if they do move it, they will probably move it a full year so they can release it in that month of October of 2021. I agree with that. I just don't think it's going to come to that. That's where I'm. That's what I, my thinking on this is right now. Question is, guys, what do you think about that? Do you think Halloween, Halloween Kills, will hold its October release date? I believe it will. Maybe you don't think so. Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, with that down, Let's move on to main topic number two, and our second main topic today gets submitted to us by uh, Sally, who writes, hello, John, some days ago, you talked about how crowded and awesome November looks, but I noticed that both Godzilla vs Kong and soul will open on the same day. Which one do you think will take the number one spot at the box office for that weekend? Thanks and have a good day. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yes, we were talking about how that November release time frame has been getting very, very crowded. No doubt. But one of the things crowding it up is two particularly big films opening on the exact same day. We've got Godzilla vs. Kong I love this graphic that Ray, that Ray made. We've got Godzilla versus Kong versus Soul. Now listen, a lot of people are buzzing about Soul. It's it's a deeper kind of animated film, something we've come to expect sort of from Pixar over the last couple years. And a lot of people have seen it, have been really buzzing about it. Actually, even when we had, before Onward came out, we were in an unusual situation, an unusual situation, Where we had a Pixar film about to come out, but everybody was really talking about another Pixar film that was still to come much further down the line. We didn't see that often. We don't see that that often. And everybody was buzzing about Soul. Even at D23, when they showed us like a seven or eight minute scene of Onward and a short like two minute trailer of Soul, what everybody was talking about was Soul. Everybody was talking about it. Here's a funny thing. Let's rewind the clock two and a half years, right? Let's rewind the clock two and a half years. If you were, have said to me two and a half years ago, John, coming out November 2020, theoretically, we've got Godzilla versus King Kong (gasps) versus a new Pixar animated film that's going to be kind of metaphysical called Soul. Which one do you think is going to win the box office that weekend? That's a no duh. Obviously Godzilla versus Kong obviously remember rewinding the clock two and a half years ago Obviously Godzilla versus Kong Who's not going to see Godzilla versus Kong a metaphysical Animated film uh, Pixar's great, but, but I mean come on it's gonna be Godzilla versus Kong That's what I would have said and if you're honest That's exactly what you would have said two and a half years ago, too Not even two and a half years ago, but now fast forward back up to present day The situation has changed we now live in a world where we had godzilla king of the monsters come out and i think it lost money it lost money actually let me go over and just double check i forgot exactly what it was godzilla versus oh sorry godzilla uh king of the monsters box office i remember it only i think it all got under 400 million hold a second 386 million. That movie lost money. 386 million. If you had told me two and a half years ago that Godzilla that Godzilla, King of the Monsters, was only gonna make 386 million, I would have thought you were crazy, but it did. Especially Especially after Comic Con. Remember they dropped the one year in advance of the movie coming out at Comic Con, they dropped the Godzilla King of the Monsters trailer. Remember that? and everybody was buzzing about it if you had told us that day oh yeah by the way when this movie comes out it's only gonna make 386 million dollars we would have said you're crazy but the problem is they started marketing it far too early lost all of its buzz the movie wasn't all that good depending on who you ask and it only did that so today i'm gonna say something crazy something i would have thought was crazy to say not so long ago soul is going to win that weekend now look the benefit that both godzilla versus kong and soul have is that these are two completely different movies and for the most part while there will be some overlap they are appealing to two different demographics right soul is kind of targeting the family not children they're targeting the family whereas godzilla is going after a slightly different demographic of course there's going to be some overlap but for the most part these are two completely different movies and that works to their benefit but yeah I, I, I got to say, and I, I find it crazy that I'm saying it, but yes, I think Soul is going to beat Godzilla versus Kong. I think it just is. I think Godzilla versus Kong maybe makes 400 million. Now, of course, this is all this is all speculation, having not seen any trailers, not knowing if the movies are any good. Because look, if Godzilla versus Kong comes out and it's got like a world class marketing campaign with fabulous looking trailers, and then the early word of mouth on it is that it's great and fantastic, that number could change obviously. But sitting where we are now in April, I'm I'm just wondering if Godzilla versus Kong is even going to crack 400 million. In this whole Godzilla monster verse, we've seen each movie drop in its box office. So, I I mean, I don't know. We'll have to see, but Soul looks like a winner. We'll have to wait and find out. Guys, the question is for you. Come this incredible weekend, where we're going to have Godzilla versus Kong versus Soul on the same weekend, which one do you think wins the box office that weekend? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's now move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Sam, who writes, Hi, John. With Doctor Strange 2 moving to March of 2022, there are now five movies scheduled for release in 2022. Five Marvel films released for 2022. Thor 4, Doctor Strange 2, Black Panther 2, Captain Marvel 2, and the untitled film set for October, which we'll talk about that in a second. Which one do you think will perform better and which one are you most excited for? All right. Thanks for sending that in, man. And yes, as of right now, it looks like we have five, count them, five Marvel MCU movies scheduled to come out in 2022. Now, what is that fifth? Well, it's only speculation, but I think there's a lot of very, very good logic to assume that that fifth movie is going to be Blade. I think there's a lot of good reason to assume that fifth movie scheduled for October is going to be Blade. So right now, where things stand, assuming for a moment that that October date that the MCU is holding is going to be for Blade. I mean, they announced Blade last year. We've heard nothing about it so far. That seems to make sense. So we've got Thor, Love and Thunder, Doctor Strange, The Multiverse of Madness, Black Panther 2, Captain Marvel 2, and of course, Blade. So if it is Blade, let's look at this for a second. Which of these ones do I think will do the best? I think Black Panther 2 does the best, actually. I mean, even when you look back at Thor Love and Thunder, look, the Thor movies recently have done very, very well at the box office. But Thor Ragnarok did great, but it didn't make a billion dollars. It did great, but it didn't make a billion That's fine. You don't need to make a billion to be a big, huge hit. It was a big, huge hit, all that kind of stuff. Doctor Strange too did very well at the box office, or the the first Doctor Strange did very well at the box office, whatever. Captain Marvel did make a billion dollars at the box office, but so did Black Panther. And Black Panther was wildly popular. It was nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. The first one made over a billion dollars. It's I think it's the one that does the best but but let's focus that's uh, neither here nor there Let's focus for a second on which one am I most excited about? Let's talk about that for a second. Which one am I most excited about? When I look at these five films If I had to throw out a guess Right now and and remember This could change so don't hold me to this. This could completely change over the next little while Um, as we look at these films that have that are coming on 2022 i may you know a new piece of information may drop may change my my order of this but let's talk about how i would personally order my level of anticipation out of these five films assuming that blade is that october 7th film and it may not be let's be clear that blade Blade may not be that October 7th, 2022 film. And even if it is, Marvel could still shuffle that one out of 2022. Let's go for a moment with the assumption that it is Blade and it keeps its release date. Okay. Here's how I would order them in my level of anticipation. At the bottom, let me first say, I'm looking forward to all these films. I'm looking forward to all of them. But if I had to put them in an order right now, At the bottom, I would say Captain Marvel 2, which I am looking forward to. And I liked the first Captain Marvel. It's a good film. But it wasn't in the upper half of MCU films, right? Like, it wasn't one that I felt like I needed to watch seven or eight times like I do with a lot of other MCU films. Solid film. Good film. I enjoyed it. Important film. Made over a billion dollars. Yay. And I am definitely looking forward to seeing it. But out of these five, I'm going to put Captain Marvel 2 at the bottom. Next above that, in the fourth spot, I'm going to put Blade. And again, I'm looking forward to all these, and I'm looking forward to Blade. I'm especially looking forward to seeing Mahershala Ali play Blade. That's pretty badass. So, yes, but the fact of the matter is, right now, it's an unknown commodity. I don't know what they're going to do with this Blade. I don't know what this iteration of Blade is going to look like. I'm still kind of curious how you're doing a Blade in the MCU, because clearly it's not going to be rated R. So there are a lot of question marks. I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to it, but still a lot of question marks. So I'm going to put Blade as my fourth most anticipated one. In my third most anticipated one, I'm going to put Black Panther 2. Uh, Ryan Coogler's coming back. I really enjoyed the first film. It was great. The anticipation level is high. And I'm really curious to see what they're going to do because he's the king of a nation who's been MIA for five years. Remember, he was gone in the snap or the blip, as they called it in Spider-Man: uh, Far From Home. He was gone in the blip. So, what are they going to do? I'm not. I'm not really sure. So, I'm f- totally fascinated by that. So, I'm really excited for Black Panther Two. I'm going to put that in my number three spot. What's number one? What movie would I say I am most anticipated, most anticipating, out of Thor: Love and Thunder? And Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. That's tough. Because I love the Thor character. I love this Thor character. And I love Thor Ragnarok. And I love Thor in both Infinity War and in Endgame. Doctor Strange, I really enjoyed the first Doctor Strange movie, but I have enjoyed the character even more once we got into Infinity War. Like, Doctor Strange, is one to me, is one of the MVPs of Infinity War. He really stood out to me the way they used that character and the way they've evolved that character. And throw on top of that, even though I wanted Scott Derrickson to come back to direct the second uh, Doctor Strange movie, I wanted Scott Derrickson back. But they've made the really interesting move of going and getting Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi of Evil Dead and Spider-Man fame. That is a really interesting matchup there. So I will say that my most anticipated film out of this list is going to be Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. I think, I think this the intrigue of Sam Raimi directing this has added a lot of curiosity for me to the Doctor Strange outing. It's just, again, if I had had my choice and I was controlling the world and I had the Infinity Gauntlet and I could snap my fingers, I would have Scott Derrickson directing the sequel. But the fact of the matter is, Sam Raimi and there is a really intriguing choice, and it's bumped it up. I am super stoked for Thor love, love and Thunder. There are a few questions, but like I'm not big on the Jane character in the movie, so it kind of dampened my enthusiasm a little bit when they announced that Jane was coming back, even though I love Natalie Portman. But I wasn't big on the Jane character, and so that tempered it a bit. I'm still super stoked. So I would say number five. An anticipation list for me is Captain Marvel. Number four is Blade. Number three is Black Panther 2. Number two is Thor, Love and Thunder. And I'm going to say, at least for right now, my most anticipated, again, I, at least for right now, my most anticipated uh, MCU film that is currently slated to come out in 2022 is going to be Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So that's how I'm going to put it. Now, which one will do best? My guess is Black Panther 2 will do best because, I mean, a cat, look, two billion. there are two billion dollar films on that list. Captain Marvel, Black Panther 2. But one of them also got a Best Picture nomination. I think that's going to add a lot to that. So I, I think the one that's going to do the best is probably Black Panther 2. Uh, and it's going to be great. Ryan Coogler's coming back. But right now, I'm going to say my most anticipated is Doctor Strange 2. So listen, I wanted to make that the topic of today's question of the day. So I just got on Twitter just before the show started. Now, Twitter, unfortunately, only allows me to have four options in a poll. That sucks, but Twitter only allows me four options. So the way I phrased the question for you guys was, with five MCU films currently set to hit in 2020, which of the confirmed ones are you most looking forward to? Captain Marvel 2, Doctor Strange 2, Thor 4, or Black Panther 2? Blade isn't yet confirmed, so I had to pick one not to be on the list, because again, Twitter only allows me four options. So it is so close between Dr. Strange 2 and Thor 4. Uh, A a little over 2,600 of you guys have voted already. Look at how close Thor 4 and Dr. Strange 2 are as being your most anticipated. Um, Right now, Thor... No, it's a dead heat now. It's a dead heat Absolute with 20 over 2600 votes. We have an absolute tie right now between Thor 4 and Doctor Strange 2, both at 42.5% of the vote. Um, at in the number uh, three spot is Black Panther 2 with 12.2, and the number four spot is Captain Marvel 2. So basically, your guys' rankings is reflecting my own as well, right here. So Captain Marvel, Black Panther, and then we didn't have Blade on there because of that. I find that fascinating. So, listen, guys, I'm gonna leave that poll up on my twitter my twitter is simply at john campia you can go and vote on that at any point that you like and of course guys i'm sure we'll talk more about this in the live question segment of the show coming up in just a little bit and if you're watching this show after the fact jump down into the comment section below let us know which of these films are you most excited about there's a lot to be excited about which one are you most excited about jump on down there and let us know your thoughts all right with that down and out of the way let's move on to main topic number four and our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Christopher D. And Christopher D. writes the following: Just read on Yahoo's film page that the Seth Rogen film *An American Pickle* from Sony is being dumped on HBO Max. The article didn't use the word "dumped," but that's exactly what they're doing. Uh, this also happened with the Melissa McCarthy film *Superintelligence* at the la- last fall. I wonder how many other non-blockbuster type films that were being made for theatrical release will wind up getting, quote unquote, dumped on streaming services and HBO. All right. Thanks a lot for sending in that that uh, that topic, dude. Listen, first of all, a lot of people are saying right now to themselves, what movie? Seth Rogen's got this movie coming out. And by the way, you know, I, I love Seth Rogen stuff. I, I don't think every one of his projects are great, but I just think he's great. And when he's got a project going, I get very interested. I'm like, yeah, I, I didn't like uh, what was it? Food fight? The 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 food anime one? I didn't like that one. Um, his uh, one about North Korea, the dictator—is that what it's called? Didn't like that one either. He doesn't. Not everything he makes, I think, is gold. But I really like him. And oh man, that comedy he did with Charlize Theron last year, The Long Shot—I think it was called—so underrated. That comedy was great. Anyway, Seth Rogen's got that potential to pull these, like, uh, curveballs out that I just really appreciate. Anyway, he's got this movie coming out called American Pickle. And basically the gist is, if if I recall it correctly, the basic gist of, uh, oh, sorry, well, it wasn't uh, The Dictator, it was The Interview. It's called The Interview. Not very good, but whatever. So he's got this movie coming out called American Pickle. And it sounds like a Seth Rogen descriptor. So basically this immigrant dude played by Seth Rogen comes over to the United States in like the 1920s, gets a job. And then falls into some kind of a pickle barrel where the pickle juices perfectly preserve him. It's like a Rip Van, Van Winkle story. Then in modern times, now in 2020, a century later, he comes out of the pickle barrel perfectly preserved. And he finds like either his grandson or his great grandson, also played by Seth Rogen, who looks exactly like him, who's like a computer nerd and stuff like that. And has a totally different work ethic. A ooh, fish out of water story. I got to admit, it doesn't sound great to me, but there have been other Seth Rogen projects that have not sounded great to me that I've ended up loving. So whatever, it is what it is. So yes, they just made the announcement that they're going to move this thing onto HBO Max. Now, there are some movies that do get dumped to streaming. I don't think this is the case with uh, this movie. I think this is simply the case that they just don't have anywhere else to put it right now. Like with everything, with all the theaters being locked down and there's no release dates to be had by anybody, you know, we're getting a lot of movies being shifted off. But as these movies get shifted off, it's creating no room for another film to come in there. And I think that's what's going on. And that's kind of what's being hinted at. This comes to us from Cineblend, who writes, every film that was set to be released in the middle months of 2020 had to make the same decision. Either find a workable theatrical date later in the year or in 2021 or go to streaming. Sony Pictures has made a deal with HBO Max that will see American Pickle released on the upcoming platform instead of going to the big screen. In the press release about the news, it specifically cited that the move was made so that Sony could at least get the movie out there in 2020, despite theater closures as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. So... Sony it looks like just basically looked at this and said we've got nowhere to put this thing right now and listen This is going to become an increasing problem with the number of films the longer the theater stays shut For good reason This is going to become a problem that gets worse and worse and worse There are going to be more and more films That are like, you know, Robert Meyer Burnett is pointing out all the time on this show that movies are made with borrowed money and that money is a curing interest and that interest is huge and the longer that a movie just sits on a shelf it becomes more and more expensive to just hold on to and there are going to be more projects there are going to be more movies the longer this thing stretch out that are going to have to make that decision do we let this thing sit on the shelf for another full year or more or we do we just at this point find some way to get it out there even if it's not ideal and as we've talked about before, it seems to me that the movies that are most susceptible to this are going to be movies that don't have a lot of big box office potential anyway. Movies like Scoob. Movies like the Kamel Nagiani comedy that just got, uh, they just sold it off to, to Amazon. Movies like American Pickle, which still might be great, but let's face it, American Pickle wasn't going to make $400 million at the box office, right? It doesn't need to, but it just didn't need to. So you've got a film here that... They've got nowhere to put it. They don't have any reasonable release date that they can grab that they don't think is a terrible release date. Everything's getting more crowded and they don't want it to sit on the shelf for another year. They're running out of options. And the fact of the matter is it was never going to be a big box office film anyway. Let's find a new home for it. Make the best of a bad situation. And I think more films are going to, like I said, I think more and more films are going to come across this type of a situation, this type of a predicament, if you will. Uh, for this type of a scenario, so we'll we'll see the question I have for you guys is this What do you think about this? First of all? What do you think about the sounds of this movie? Do you think this movie sounds any good? I, I, I don't think it sounds great But then again like a lot of Seth Rogen projects that don't sound great. I ended up loving them anyway So who knows do you think it sounds any good? Are you excited about it? What do you think about this move to HBO? Do you think it makes sense? Do you think it was premature of them to do? I want to know what you guys think jump down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down and out of the way, um, we are now going to move on to your live questions part of this show. Now, uh, I decided to pre record. We're calling it Earth 2, John. I pre recorded the first bunch of questions that you guys had sent in that we were waiting on answering. So I'm going to take a, a few minute break here. While I'll do, I'll leave you with the first few questions getting answered, and then we'll come back and get to your questions live. So uh, let's jump to it. All right, and let's get this thing rolling here. We're going to start things off here with Dark Helmet, who sends in a $50 Super Chat. So Dark Helmet, uh, we're going to answer your question right now, and then in a couple of weeks, you're also going to see your, your question answered again in its own standalone video. So thank you for supporting the channel on that level, man. We appreciate it here. Anyway, Dark Helmet writes, Hi, John. Studios typically position their movies to get Oscar buzz, but this year, with all the delays, how is this going to affect the Oscars this year, or does 2021 become more competitive? All right, thanks for writing that in. You know, we've been talking about that a bunch on the channel lately. Now, there are a couple of things to keep in mind, a couple of factors here. Number one, a lot of the Oscar bait films don't normally come out until like November, December anyway, because the studios, when they know they have an Oscar potential film on their hand, they like to put it out very late in the year so it can also take advantage of that Oscar buzz, right? So that's usually part of their strategy. Quite often as well, another factor to keep in mind is, When they start making these movies, and they realize, you know, this could be an Oscar contender. They'll sit it on the shelf for a while. So a number of Oscar contender movies will probably be already be done shooting and sitting on the shelf. There are some, I have no doubt, that are probably also in the process of being made and finishing up when the lockdown happens. So that's going to affect them quite a bit. Then the other factor you got to keep in mind is all the shuffling of the schedules are those months now getting too full to display the Oscar films or are some films just being moved off into 2021? It's interesting to see. Here's the thing, though. Early on, I honestly didn't think the whole lockdown would affect the Oscar season too terribly much. But the longer that this stretches out and the more shifting we're seeing of other films in certain areas... I'm starting to think it might have a bigger impact than normal. Now, early on, people would ask me, John, do I think this could affect the Oscars in February of 2021, the next upcoming Oscars? And I would say, no, 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 no. I mean, it might affect it a little bit, but really for the most part, it won't affect it too much. But I'm starting to re-examine that. I mean, the later we get into it and the more we see stuff changing around, I'm starting to think that maybe it will have a deeper effect on it. Now, as of right now, I still think we're getting an Oscars. It might be a very different Oscars. It might be an Oscars with a giant asterisk beside it. Hell, it might be a virtually online-only Oscars. I don't know. But I'm starting to think that it might be a little bit more affected than I initially thought, to be honest with you. So we're going to have to wait and see how this all starts to unfold. We're going to know a lot more by, like, June. By the time June hits, I think we're going to have a much, I'm not saying it's going to all be done, but I think we're going to have a very clear picture of what we're dealing with come June. So let's hang tight in there and see where all this goes. Again, Dark Helmet, thanks for sending that in. Remember, keep your eyes out in the next couple of weeks. You'll see your question answered in its own standalone video as well. All right. Ryan writes in, hey, John and Rob do you think unlimited programs like AMC A list and regal unlimited will still be something theaters will be running after things get back to normal can they afford to have people going to see two three four times a month for a set price well here's the thing these programs were never made to lose money these programs were made to make money and the kind of tragedy of amc situation is they had finally after spending all this money and all this expense on getting a list up and running they finally had a list turning profit they finally had a list turning profit and then the shutdown happened here's the thing they can't come back without those programs they can't come back without the programs they can't come back and say hey guys come back to a worse experience than you had before they can't do that They need everything that they have at their disposal to bring people back into the movie theaters And that includes a list and yes, see the thing about the movie theaters is unlike movie pass Where movie pass people use movie pass and movie pass just lost money See the movie theaters like regal and AMC once people come into the theaters That's when the theaters can start making money off you and me because I come into the theater. Yay I used my AMC a list to get a free great that then I spend money on popcorn And then I spend, you know, my wife spends money on chocolate covered almonds and then I spend money on a soda and so on and so on and so so on. And that's all money that the theater's making. So I would actually argue, Ryan, that both Regal, AMC, they can't afford to come back without those programs because those are going to be the programs that bring their most loyal customers back into the theaters. And that's what they need more desperately. So, yes, I do think I mean, you never know. I, I can't say for certain, but I would be shocked. I'll be shocked if they try to come back without those programs because I think they need those programs desperately now more than ever. All right, Hoser Miaz writes, uh, Brothers in Arms TV series is based on a video game. I'm not familiar with the Brothers in Arms TV series, but I'm I going um, I, 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 I to assume that you're correct on that. I'm just not familiar with it myself. All right, Matthew Melagrano writes, let's see Gone with the Wind back in the movie theaters. I'd be down. Here's the thing. I'm not sure there's going to be a lot of people rushing out to see Gone with the Wind In movie theaters today, but maybe I'm wrong about that because I'd be one. I've never seen Gone with the Wind on the big screen before. I'd be down for that, Matthew. All right, a fan of Peanuts writes. slightly disagree x-men first class and the winter soldier are perfect examples of spy thrillers that were successful at so- at satisfying eight-year-olds and 40 pluses i'm not quite sure what you're making that in reference to i also i don't know that i would call either first i don't think i would classify first class as a spy thriller and i don't think i classify winter soldier as a spy thriller either i classify winter soldier it might just be semantics more like a political thriller uh more than a spy thriller but we're probably not all that far off in our definitions but i'm not really sure what you're talking about there in in general because those were like four quadrant movies for sure those were movies that satisfied younger audiences and older audiences and um and yeah so i i I agree with you on that fan of peanuts i do all right next up uh bretson buckner writes one movie i'd kill to see on the big screen again is the og 1994 lion king ah my alt you're speaking right to my heart bretson You're speaking right to my heart. That is my all-time favorite animated film. My number one all-time favorite animated film. I would literally burst into tears if I could hear that classic chant in a Dolby Theater, Hakuna Matata, or, "Ah, it's a win. Here's the thing, though. Remember, it wasn't that long ago. It was just like, what, six, seven years ago that they did a re-release of Lion King back in the theaters again. They did a re-release of Lion King back in the theaters again. And uh, it was Awesome. Now, I think they remastered it a bit for that re-release, but it was so great. After so many years, being able to go back into the movie theater and see the original Lion King in theaters again, and you know what? It did pretty well for a re-release, which normally don't do all that great. For a re-release, if I remember, Lion King did really, really well when it did its special re-release. It was such a fantastic experience. So you're speaking right to my heart, sir. You're speaking right to my heart. But they did do that a few years ago. And hey, listen, I'd be down for it if they launched it again. You know, while they're trying to warm the theaters up again to get people back into the theaters before the new films hit. I'd be totally down for that, dude. You've got my vote for sure. All right. A fan of Peanuts writes, both excellent films by fan, for fans, uh, young and old critiques. Uh, if you're talking about both uh, Civil War or uh, Winter Soldier and First Class, yes. I mean, I got to admit, I like First Class. I like First Class. I didn't like it as much as a lot of people did. Because I, honestly, I think half the film isn't very good at all. And then the other half of the film, the, the stuff that focuses on Michael Fassbender's Magneto, that part kills. The stuff about the kids. I don't know that it worked as well for me, but I still like the film. I like X-Men First Class. I just don't like it as much as many other people do. All right, Justin uh, Dahad writes, Hello, John. Are you planning on watching Defending Jacob on Apple TV? I believe that's the new Chris Evans series on Apple TV. I do believe I'll check it out. I, I don't have, I will confess, I don't have any immediate plans to watch it, but I've seen the commercials for it, and it does look really intriguing and engaging. And I'm, I'm sitting here just watching the trailers, and I'm asking myself, well, damn, did the kid do it or didn't he? I'm not even sure. Maybe he did. You know, so I'm sort of asking myself those questions as well. So it's got me intrigued. I am going to watch it. I don't know how fast I'm going to get around to watching it, but I am planning on watching. If you guys haven't seen it, take Justin's advice here. Go check out the trailers for it. So, listen, I'm telling you what. I thought Apple TV Plus looked like a bit of a waste, but I've been very impressed with the quality of their programming. At least the couple of shows I've watched, um, a Morning Show has been Great. Uh, For All Mankind is fantastic. And this Defending Jacob, I still haven't seen that Jason Momoa one uh, scene. That still looks lame to me, but I might check it out at some point. But this one I am planning on checking out, Justin. All right, last one for me, guys, and then we'll throw it back to Earth One, John. Uh, Jesse writes, even though I'm not looking forward to the movie, I am glad that Uncharted moved to July. Uncharted always felt like a big summer popcorn flick to me. And listen, I love right now The notion of any movie moving up because we're in such a frame right now where everything's being pushed back to have a movie actually move up and of course if you guys were watching the show yesterday that was one of the stories that uncharted actually moved three months forward and that got gets me very excited i mean listen i'm just excited to get back in the movie theater see anything i am i listen and i know a lot of people are like crapping on this uncharted thing I have a feeling this is going to be pretty good. I really do. And and Sony is showing that they're very confident in this movie. I think they got something special. You got a terrific actor in Tom Holland in there. I know a lot of people are still questioning about going with the younger Nathan Drake instead of the older one. Let's see what it is Sony has in, in mind, because I got a feeling I think this could be pretty fun. So I'm excited about it myself. All right, guys, listen, that will do it for me. Let's get back to the live show with John and Rob. Let's throw it over there right now. And of course, uh, Rob isn't with me today, uh, in the least, as I, I fumble across there. Rob is not with me today, unfortunately, so he's, uh, Earth 2 John didn't know what he was talking about there. Okay, guys, let's get over and start getting to the the uh, picking up where uh, Earth 2 John left off there. We're going to next up is Alex Pitt, who writes. The Last of Us Part 2 is releasing on June 19th. So that's only 3 weeks after its latest release date of May 29th. It's my most anticipated video game of all time, so the hype is real. Yeah, and there's a bunch of controversy going on about this, which I I don't understand people. I really don't. I first of all, it is unfortunate that a lot of big leaks came out about the game, which which sucks. But here's the thing. People are hearing the results of the leaks. And getting all upset when you don't know the context of the events that are going to happen. Like, I'm sure there are big events that happen in movies we love. That if we had known about the event without the context, we would have gone, why are they doing that? But then we watch it in context of the movie and it's like powerful and brilliant and fantastic and blah, blah, blah. We've got all these people out there right now, like all mad at Last of Us 2 when they don't even know the context of what's happening. And I'm not going to repeat the spoilers, but I, I just don't get that. I just don't get that. I mean, you got to take it in context of a movie, right? Like when something in a story happens, like an event in, in a story in a movie cannot be grasped if you don't know the full context surrounding it and what leads up to it. Because if you just hear the event, you might think, well, that sounds dumb. But then you watch it in context. If you watch it in context for the first time, maybe it would be powerful and moving and incredible. Or you might hear about an event in a movie and go, that sounds great. But then you see it in context and you're like, that was stupid. I just think people need to take a deep breath. Everybody gets so wound up over little bits of information instead of just taking a breath and saying, okay, well, let's see how this actually plays out. So I don't know. I, I just think people are getting upset and maybe it'll suck. Maybe it'll suck. But right now, it's too early to call. Just take a breath and just play the game and see how it turns out. I mean, yes, right now, it seems like they kind of moved up the release date uh, just to uh, because of the, the leaks and stuff like that. But I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, Adam Cicchetto writes, Extractions Director was Chris Evans' Captain America stunt double. Yes, he was. But, but he's more than that. He's done a lot of stunt work and stuff like that, which I think is part of the reason why... The story of the movie was kind of weak, but the action was so incredibly top-notch because he had a stunt dude directing the film, and that's I think part of the reason why the action was so great. Uh, Joe Adonis Tauk writes, "Hey John and Robert, uh, I used to pirate, I used to pirated John's doc. That's John um, Schnepp's. Uh, Death of Superman Lives What Happens documentary when I was in the Philippines because payment method for the digital was restricted to the U.S. But when I got here, I purchased the super pack and donated it. Yeah. So Robert and I talked on the show yesterday about how, you know, uh, Schnepp was really devastated by how many people pirated his movie. And he felt felt really disillusioned by especially the fan community that he believed in so much. And so many of them were pirating his movie, which kind of ruined him. Um, and it was, it was really devastating to him and it was really left him very disillusioned and and disappointed. Everybody knows my position on piracy. Piracy is theft. You can try to dress it up however you want to semantically. The bottom line is this piracy is theft. If somebody invests in and spends time on and creates a product with the intention of sale and then you find a way to circumvent that to acquire the product without paying for it, that's theft. Sorry, it is. You can People can try to justify it any way they want. They can try and make up whatever semantics they want. It's theft. But that being said, I've always thought there was a bit of a gray area where, okay, what happens though if you are a consumer and you want to pay for it And there's literally no avenue being given to you to pay for it What then and and I, I think that's when it gets into a gray area Like for instance, we were talking about this when Disney Plus was coming out and they were only rolling it out in certain markets and like people are like, well, Mandalorian's going to be coming out in half the world and we're going to find out all the spoilers and we don't know what's going on. And we have no way of getting it in our country. And you had people going, here's our money, take our money. We want to pay for it and we want to watch it, but they had no option. And so a lot of those people were going to pirate it. And I was like, look, I'm not endorsing piracy under those situations. I'm not saying I endorse piracy under those circumstances, but I mean, when you've got a consumer who can negatively be affected by hearing about something when they want to buy it themselves and they are ready to put down their money and buy your product, but there is literally no avenue being given to them. Again, I'm not saying I endorse it, but I'm saying I think that's a gray area. It feels to me like a gray area. And Joe, it sounds like you were caught in that gray area. You want to support John Schnapp. You, loved his, you You love him. You want to see his work and you've got your money and you are ready to pay for it. But there is literally no avenue being given to you to pay for it. So I think it's a gray area. You made the decision to, to pirate it at the time. And then when you got back over here, you purchased it. So you covered your bases and you did the right thing. But again, I think it is a gray area. So it's it's always one of those tricky situations. Anyway, Lincoln Johnson writes, uh, movies I'd love to see in theaters. Ghostbusters, Batman, Beetlejuice, Top Gun. Aw, Top Gun, yeah. Uh, Star Wars, which by the way, you might get an opportunity to see Top Gun in theaters if they decide to re-release it for the sequel. Uh, original Star Wars, Psycho, The Birds, North by Northwest, 007, Forrest Gump, Back to the Future, uh, 1, 2, and 3, Shawshank Redemptions, studios do this. So of course on yesterday's show, we were talking about how, you know, what movies would we like to see movie theaters open with? Because they're going to open... If they do open in time for tenant, they're going to open a few weeks before tenant to get things ramped up. Even AMC theaters, and what are they going to put on their screens? And we talked about some of the movies we'd love to see. Lincoln. There's not a film on that list that I would not go to the theater to watch again. If they open up the theaters and put like this list up there, are you kidding me? I would be there in a heartbeat. That's a great list, Lincoln. Well done. All right, a man nicknamed Pooh Bear writes, "Hello, John and Rob. As we are." Uh, Still locked down and in California, marijuana marijuana dispensaries are considered essential. How about we all revisit the movie Friday, which celebrated the 25th anniversary yesterday. Hashtag blaze one. uh, And, you know, this man here, I look Friday is it feels weird to say it. It's got cult like status. It really does. Now, look, I liked Friday. I'm not. It's not one that I would go back to an awful lot. I liked it. It's a good movie. It's not what I, but the popularity of that movie. I'll tell you what, every year that passes, I hear more and more people referencing it. It seems like it's one of those little films that is actually growing in its popularity as time progresses. I I haven't done any kind of scientific study on that, but it just feels to me like more and more people reference it every year that passes. So it's just kind of one of those films. And maybe that's another one they can put back on the screens when they open the theaters back up, Pooh Bear. All right, Luis Cortez writes, threat level midnight is the greatest movie of all time with michael scorn Uh, a movie that michael scott wrote directed and starred i mean he spent eight years working on the movie also jim halpert stole the movie as a golden face uh man the office is so funny i love it you know it's it's during this lockdown period, more and more people, of course, go into streaming stuff. And I was reading that there are record numbers of people watching The Office, records number of people watching Seinfeld, record numbers of people watching Friends. I mean, it's crazy. But The Office in particular, record numbers of views of Office episodes are being recorded right now. And actually, you know, I talked about this. Our friend Kaori has never seen The Office. So Anne is watching through. I think they're up to season three right now. Anne and Kaori, are going through watching all the episodes of The Office. Anne's, Anne knows The Office. She loves The Office, but Kaori's never watched it, so Anne's taking her through that right now. But man, Threat Level Midnight. Uh, that and Scott's Tots might be two of my favorites, although uh, there's so many so many good ones to pick for me, Luis. Anyway, uh, Cody Cordy writes, also wanted to mention, Uh, The reason I'm talking a lot about Adam Sandler is, one, he is my favorite actor, and two, I'm binge-watching all of his films, which, by the way, I love mostly all his films, even the bad ones, except Jack and Jill. I don't like that one. Yeah, there's not a lot to get into, into that. Listen, Adam Sandler is a dude who I feel like has three separate careers, depending on the time frame. Career number one, early Adam Sandler and going beyond Saturday Night Live into his film career. You're talking about the, the age of Billy Madison. You're talking about the age of Happy Gilmore. You're talking about the age of Waterboy. You're talking about the age of The Wedding Singer. Like you're, you're talking that era, Adam Sandler, which has ruled the world, right? And then there's this other career where he just started doing all these crappy comedies, like really beneath his talent level, kind of stuff that has come to kind of define him the last number of years which is unfortunate and then there's the dramatic adam sandler the third career the dramatic adam sandler who is outstanding you know rob and i were talking about rain over me the other day he of course got some awards buzz this past year for uncut gems uh, spanglish um the dude is a great a great dramatic actor and so it, it's just one of those really multidimensional careers. A lot of good, some bad. It's just one of those things. But I, I like Adam Sandler. All right. Uh, Joseph's Book Reviews writes, have you seen any of Hank Azaria's Apu's acting? Yeah, Hank Azaria's been in a lot of stuff. Like I talk a lot about. First, he was in a Godzilla movie. Everybody forgets that Hank Azaria's in a Godzilla movie. But he is in one of my just most treasured movies ever. He is the Blue Raja in Mystery Men. A not stabby man, Blue Raja, one of the greatest superheroes of all time. I like Hank Azaria. He's also has this great silly little role in John Cusack, uh, Julia Roberts, Billy Crystal's movie, America's Sweethearts. Uh, he plays a great role in that. I really like Hank Azaria. Then he had that show uh, that was on HBO as well. Anyway, I like Hank Azaria a lot. Uh, Luis Cortez writes. I love Star Wars, but I don't know all the lore. So when the Siths were gone and extinct, does that mean that a war between them and Jedi happened? Or is there another explanation? Because I love the war type of movie between Jedi's and Sith. Yeah, when, when it comes time to do that, it's gonna be old, 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 old prequel. So the Sith have been thought to be extinct for millennia, as they said in the movie, right? They've been thought to be gone for so long, but in actuality and secret, they have progressed. One master, one apprentice, one to have the power and one to crave it. Um, that's the, the history of, of that. So if they do get into Jedi versus Sith Wars, they're going to be going backwards considerably in time. All right. Jaron Morris writes, uh, Valentina Shyshenko's greatest woman flyweight of all time. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that there's, there's a lot of... I don't know who you say is a competitor for that. Um, and listen, I would love to see her and Amanda Nunez trilogy it up. I would love to see, because their other fights were good. Look, Amanda Nunez is the baddest woman on the planet. Uh, I'm not even a fan of Amanda Nunez, but she is the baddest woman on the planet. I mean, she just destroys other fighters who were thought maybe the baddest women on the planet. Like Ronda Rousey was the baddest woman on the planet for a long time. Um, Chris Cyborg was considered by some to maybe be the baddest woman on the planet for a long time. But then along came Amanda Nunez and she didn't just beat both of them. She destroyed both of them. she is, she's the, she's the bar. She's the bar. But at a lighter weight class is Valentina, who is a Terminator. I mean, I I don't know how else to put it. She's a Terminator. I'm convinced if you take a a scalpel to her skin, you're going to find robotics underneath. She's a Terminator. It's just that. And I would love to see her and Amanda and Unis fight again. Honestly, it's it's the most intriguing possible fight In the women's division, the UFC for me. But anyway, yeah, she's just a beast. Uh, Adam K. writes, what's a film you're surprised that never got a sequel? Mystery Men. (laughs) I mean, uh, but also we talk about this one sometimes, the Will Smith film Hitchcock. Um, Hitchcock was just, it was a good movie. It made a lot of money. It was in the superhero genre. It had one of the world's most popular film stars, Will Smith. Charlie' Theron's in there too, by the way. I I am still confused. I'm going to have to sit down. If I ever get to sit down and have dinner with Will Smith, which will never happen. But if I ever get that opportunity to sit down and have dinner with Will Smith, I think one of the first things I'm going to talk to him about is whatever happened with Hitchcock? Like, why didn't you guys follow that up? I would love to know that one. All right, Mr. T.J. Lin writes, one of four. I agree that watching uh, movies in the cinema is the best experience, but for me, the type of movie I love to watch in the big screen is the more quiet or character-driven story like The King's Speech, Uh, one of my favorite films of the last 20 years, Um, The Irishman, Parasite, etc. You get what I mean. I will never watch MCU slash superhero slash action spectacle in their opening weekend or even second weekend because I do not enjoy the noise people make in the movie. See, I love a big sports atmosphere kind of uh environment but because i do not enjoy the noise people make in the movie theaters because of joy and excitement nothing wrong with it it's just not for me Uh, i'll wait until less people are in cinema to see that kind of movie or even in digital if i miss it in theaters I don't care for spoilers. Uh, Knowing Tony died in Endgame before seeing it, it did not increase or decrease my enjoyment of the movie the first time in digital months after the theatrical release. If anything, the theatrical experience for this kind of movies uh, would be too distractive uh, for me. I'm a weird person I know. Also, Goodfellas, better than The Godfather. I See, I told you there are some people out there who consider goodfellas even over the godfather Uh, i love uh, goodfellas 3000 goodfellas is fantastic and listen i think tj you just kind of represented uh, exactly what we're talking about listen we all have different ways we're all unique individuals and we all have different ways that movies will impact us not just how they impact us but how we experience them will be different from person to person right Like you're somebody who you like the quieter environments to watch a movie. But even in that, when you're watching a movie like The King's Speech, being in a, oh my God, I'm so glad the first time I saw King's Speech was in a theater with people. It was such a good experience. But it's a different kind of communal experience than something like an Avengers Endgame, right? Personally, me, I love the sports stadium atmosphere of a big action adventure movie. I I love it. I absolutely love it. Like, when you're... Like, again, we've talked about a lot lately, but it's a good example. Being in that theater, watching Endgame, Thor and Thanos are fighting, Mjolnir flies across the screen, but flies right past Thor and Thanos, and then the camera cuts into Captain America's hand. Captain America's hand. And everybody loses their collective shit. The theater went nuts. And there that type of an experience, like everything in art is not for everybody. It's not for everybody. Not everybody appreciates that. You're one of them, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. Then there are people like myself who, "Oh my god, um that is a total experience for me. That is totally an experience I want to have. I love that type of an experience. Or like when, when a character shows up that you thought was never going to show up again and the camera cuts and that character's in, like, you hear the audience going, <gasps> you know, it's just something about that communal experience that I love so much. But again, those more rambunctious ones are not going to be for everybody, TJ. And I get it. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. We all have different taste We all have different ways we experience things and certain things affect us in different ways than they do other people. So, Hey man, that's the way it works for you. That's the way it works for you. No apologies needed. And Godfather is better than Goodfellas, but I love them both. There's no wrong answer. All right. Next up, Amir writes, Hey, guys, my movie recommendation today is Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai. It stars Forrest Whitaker, who's awesome in everything. Forrest Whitaker is awesome in everything. Um, who is awesome in everything as a samurai doing jobs for the mob. At its heart, it's a, it's a philosophical film. It's different, and I think it's worth a watch. I'm not going to pretend that I'm, I'm familiar with uh, Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai. Hold a second here. Because when you mentioned Ghost Dog, I instantly thought of a different movie. Uh, Way of the Samurai. Let's see. Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai. Uh, It is a film that came out. When did it come out? It came out in 1999. Oh, wait a minute. I do know this film. I do know this film. I totally take that back. I haven't watched it, though. I haven't watched it. Uh, the, The synopsis for it reads... Uh, ghost dog, Forrest Whitaker, is a contract killer, a master of his trade, who can whirl a gun at warp speed and moves through the world like a phantom, stealthy and uh, and evanescent. Uh, in the spirit of the samurai, he has pledged his loyalty to a small-time mobster named Louie, played by John Tormey, who saved his life once. Okay, actually, that sounds kind of interesting. I'm totally familiar with this movie. I just never did see it. Thanks for putting that on the radar, though, Amir. appreciate that. All right, next up, The Sock Writes. If alien life was discovered, do you think movies would then make violence involving aliens r rated material because they, well, this is a huge the- theoretical and hypothetical uh, because they wouldn't just be fictional anymore, or maybe even ban it from further production is not to insult them. Uh, wow. I can honestly say in all the years that I've done this, I've never had that question before. The, the root of this is, of course, the fact that we've talked a lot about that in a lot of movies, you can get away with unspeakable violence in a PG-13 movie if the unspeakable violence is get done against robots. So, for instance, in a Transformers movie, you can have Optimus Prime taking a giant sword and cutting off the head of a Decepticon or splitting a Decepticon straight down the middle, having their body sliced apart. You can get away with that because it's a fictional character. It's, it's, it's a CGI animated robot. Same with aliens, you can have, you can blow away and murder as many aliens as you want in a movie so and still get PG-13. But if we discovered actual aliens, would that change? Society is a funny thing to sock, I'm gonna guess probably yes. It would probably change a lot of things, not just the way we rate our movies. All right, Emad writes, uh, with the current spike in piracy, do you think we'll see a large portion of those new piraters get acclimated to that approach and continue pirating beyond the pandemic? Um, I mean, I don't know. We talked, of course, on the John Campy show yesterday about how piracy numbers have gone up by like 40 to 60 percent, depending on the country that you're in uh, during the pandemic. I think there's a number of contributing factors to that I think the biggest factor is that more people are just at home and looking for something to watch. I think that's the biggest factor. Another big factor is it's way easier to pirate a movie that's being streamed. It is way easier to pirate that. So that's a big thing, too. I think, though, like I said, I think the biggest contributing factor is that everybody's just stuck at home and everybody's bored and blah, blah, blah. I I do think... Uh, but also, when the lockdown's done, a lot of these movies are going to be going back to the theaters again. That will make it more difficult for piracy and all that kind of stuff. So it, it, it really all depends on how things unfold once the lockdown is done. EMAD. It's a good question, though. Fifty Shades of Geek writes, uh, John, uh, you skipped one of my questions yesterday. I got—I answered a lot of your questions yesterday. Or should I say Earth 2, John did? Uh, it was the question uh, itself inappropriate. It was an honest slip up. I since I did get to a number of your questions I don't know which one we're talking about Fifty Shades sorry about that by the way Fifty Shades just so you know if that happens the best thing to do is not to send in another super chat save yourself the five bucks just email me john at thejohncabishow.com that's the best thing to do there anyway Henri Mertens writes have you seen American Animals yet yes Um, it's one of two films distributed by MoviePass lol still a great heist drama based on true events with interviews from the real people coincidentally the events happened in my hometown oh really it was released on my birthday yeah I dig it you know what it is a nice little movie unlike that other one they put out that john travolta one Unlike that one it was you know it movie pass and sorry to go off on a sidetrack here but man movie pass it was such a great idea that was doomed from the start because it basically had a criminal business model right If movie Pass had launched and then them trying to diversify by making their own movies that their own things can that one was a fool's errand but if movie pass had launched with a realistic business model, but look everybody forgets the movie pass business model was that of extortion. That was their business model. Their business model was, Let's price our service at a cost that we can never sustain. You know, $10 a month for unlimited movies, right? That was a cost they could never sustain. And they knew they could never sustain it. Because their real strategy that they didn't advertise was, we're going to blackmail the movie theaters. So here was their business strategy. Let's give this incredibly cheap price point that we can never survive with and get as many people signed up as possible. Let's sign up millions of people. Now, once we get those millions of people signed up, let's use our subscribers as leverage, as blackmail leverage, as extortion leverage against the movie theaters and the movie studios. Let's say, let's go to AMC theaters and say, oh, you know what, AMC? (coughs) You you should probably give us a percentage of your concession stand money because it would be a shame if all these millions of moviegoers, if we suddenly told them, you know what, Movie Pass subscribers, can't use your Movie Pass at AMC Theaters. You should go down the road to the Cinemark, or you should go down the road to Regal, or you should go down the road to Landmark. It would be a real shame, AMC Theaters, if we had to do that extortion. And then they started extorting the movie studios. It's like, "You know what, um Universal, we know you got this movie opening up on this particular weekend. You know, you should probably pay us some sponsorship money to promote your movie because it would be a real shame if your competitor who's got a movie opening up on the same weekend, if they gave us their, their sponsorship and we start advertising their movie, and uh, we didn't let our millions of subscribers pick your movie to go to that weekend, and they did that once. It was the weekend that Jennifer Lawrence's Red Sparrow came out, and Bruce Willis's. Why do I keep freezing the name of the Bruce Willis's? It was the remake, Death Wish, and Bruce Willis's Death Wish came out. Death Wish bought some sponsorship on movie pass so that when you open your movie pass app there was an ad for death wish nothing wrong with that that's that's business nothing wrong with that advertising marketing that's business nothing wrong with that but here's where it got really greasy perfectly fine that death wish bought marketing space and ad space and ad sponsorship on movie pass to promote their movie nothing wrong with that but It just so happened, magically, that the other movie opening that weekend, Red Sparrow, guess what? I went to my AMC theater and opened up my MoviePass app to go buy my Red Sparrow. And guess what was the one movie that MoviePass wouldn't let me get a movie ticket for? Red Sparrow. Or Sparrow. Or Red. Whatever the name of the Jennifer Lawrence movie was. Now I'm forgetting the name of it. But anyway... That was the one movie that was just opening on the same weekend as another movie that MoviePass got some sponsorship money from. And all of a sudden, we couldn't use our MoviePass to go see that Jennifer Lawrence film. Not that the movie was all that good. It wasn't. But still, the principle, it's just such, and I know I'm getting sidetracked here. But it will always be such a cautionary tale that when your whole business plan is extortion, that's your business plan. Not good things are going to happen. Not good things are going to happen. Anyway, uh, Darklock63 writes uh, recommendation for Sunday, Sunday, three May 2020. Food Network Buddy versus Duff Star Wars cake competition at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. What's this? Food Network Buddy. I'm not. I watch. I'm not familiar with who Buddy is. Versus Duff, who was the Bake King guy. Star Wars cake competition. Star Wars. I'll tell you what, you've got me, uh, you got me intrigued. Of course, Galaxy's Edge won't be open on May 3rd, but I guess it's going to be on the Food Network. Buddy versus Duff. All right. Uh, Well, since I don't know Buddy and I am familiar with Duff, I'm going to go with Duff, but I'm going to watch that. A Star Wars cake competition? Damn right. I'm going to watch that since I can't go to Galaxy's Edge. I might as well watch that. Thank I've never even heard of this dark lock. Thanks for putting that on the radar. All right. Uh, Next, Michael C. writes, I am more excited to attend New York Comic-Con this year because I believe all the big San Diego panels will now shift to New York in October. Are you considering attending or perhaps even doing your Masters of the Web panel for all your East Coast fans? Um, I'm not really considering it. Part of the reason is there's two things. Number one, while I do believe movie theaters will be open again in October, I'm not convinced that. Having a building open with fifty thousand people scrammed in shoulder to shoulder is going to be something that's happening in October, particularly in New York, which has been very seriously hit. And all of my thoughts to the, to our friends in New York. Um, so, number one, I'm not sure that New York Comic Con is going to happen, but let's say it is. It becomes extra tricky because. San Diego comic-con I can literally hop in my car and be there in an hour and a half I can be to San Diego in two hours I can be to San Diego in two hours. I can get in my car right now. It's a it's ten twelve. I can be there in time for lunch I can be in San Diego in time for lunch just hop in the car drive there. No big deal And then I can drive back I can carry all my stuff with me I can bring all the gear that I need to bring to still do my show from San Diego and all that kind of stuff New York I got to get, I got to fly out there. I got to get hotels. I got to eat. I can't bring my stuff with me. That makes it difficult. So I'm not sure. So if Comic-Con does, New York City Comic-Con does happen, I don't know. I've always wanted to go to New York Comic-Con. I've never been. And I've always wanted to go, but it's just expensive and it's it's an expensive endeavor because on top of all the other expenses of hotel and everything like that, you also have to add on top of that travel which adds another like $700, $800 to the price tag. Plus, I can't travel there in my car and bring all my gear with me, so that makes it extra hard. I, I don't know, I consider it, but here's the other problem too. I don't know that I could even get a panel at New York Comic Con, because I get my panel at San Diego, San Diego Comic Con, they actually reach out to me every year, are you doing your panel this year? Because I have a regular thing there. I'm, I've never done a panel at New York Comic Con, so I don't even know that I'd be able to do it. So, I don't know, we'll see. We'll see, but I've always wanted to go. I have always wanted to go to New York Comic-Con. Uh, it's apparently getting better and better and better every year. All right, Christian, but I again, I have my doubts it's actually going to happen this year. Uh, Christian34 writes, Hey, John and Rob, hope all is good. Yesterday, you were talking about catalog movies uh, when the theaters open. Great idea, but it's not easy to get permission to show old movies. I book movies for a cinema, and believe me, old movies are hard to get, stay safe. Yes, under normal circumstances, that's true. But under these circumstances, I believe it's going to be actually quite easy because I believe the studios are going to partner with the movie theaters to get these out. And I believe the studios are going to let this theaters do it for free because the studios need people coming back to the movie theaters and if all they if if they can help that by just letting the theaters run some catalog movies to get people coming back slowly but surely in the movie theaters I believe the studios will work in partnership with the theaters to do that under these circumstances again these are wildly unusual circumstances Christian wildly unusual circumstances but I believe in these wildly unusual circumstances I do believe we're going to see that the studios will work with the theaters to get some catalog stuff on the screen and get people back into the movie theaters probably even let them do it for free because P- it's in their own best interest so we'll see how that all works out all right uh denaldo martinez writes i finally watched here oh sorry this was a super chat from last night's i did a playing chat last night where i was playing poker um so let me so these were all super chats that i already answered um the do 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 do, do. i answered all these uh i answered the critical role one uh that's an uh, uh, how's quarantine affected your job? I didn't answer that. Uh are you ready for UFC 220 250? I did answer that say I gotta get UFC 249 under my belt first. Um uh, let's see here. Did I answer apparently a number of cutscenes from Last of Us I think we did talk about that? Okay, no, let's let's pick it up from there. Okay, I think are you ready for UFC 250 was the last one that I answered on the uh, playing chat last night. So let's keep on going here. Spencer Smothers writes, apparently a number of cut scenes from Last of Us 2 containing major spoilers were leaked on YouTube by disgruntled Naughty Dog employees. By the way, everybody's saying that part like it's a fact, and that has not been confirmed by anybody anywhere. It's not been actually confirmed by any reliable source. It might have been. We were talking earlier in the show that a bunch of uh, major, major, major spoilers for Last of Us 2 got leaked. And it is being alleged. It's rumored that it was done by a disgruntled Naughty Dog employees. But I've seen nothing to actually verify that. Everybody's saying that, but I've seen nothing that actually verifies that. It could be true. But just be understand about that. I feel so bad for people who've been looking forward to this game. I mean, I don't care, but I feel really bad for a lot of people who've been so looking forward to this game. Now, these spoilers go out there. Now, everybody's spreading the spoilers around. And listen, it's the same in the movies. You don't get to say, well, I didn't spread the the spoilers around and ruin it for everybody. Because I just did my one little video and I warned people there were spoilers in it. Yeah, 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 I get it. But by you making a video propagating the spoilers, yeah, maybe somebody who doesn't want to know the spoilers, now they know not to go and click on your video. But guess what you did? You gave 500 people, 5,000 people, 50,000 people. Now you gave them the spoiler information. And now those, whereas before the average, you know, Eddie sitting at home who doesn't want to know the last of his two spoilers, he only had to worry about you and you put a warning on your video. Okay. Oh, don't read this. If you don't want to hear the spoilers now, they just had to worry about you. Now they got to worry about the 5,000 people who watched your video. Now they know all the spoilers. Now there's 5,000 more people who can go around and spread the spoiler around. It's, I think. I get it. You need the clicks. You want the clicks. I get that. I don't say that sarcastically. This is a business about getting people to watch your videos. I get that. I do. But at some point, there actually there has to be a level of responsibility that says, this is a big piece of information that a lot of people are not going to want to watch. I probably shouldn't spread this around right now. But then there's the argument, well, if you don't do it, somebody else is going to do it and they're going to get all the views and clicks. It's, it's, a, it's a tricky situation. It's tricky, but I feel really, really bad. Uh, for people who didn't want to know anything, and now everybody knows. Look, I'm not even, even I know about it, right? It's it's a, it's an unfortunate thing, Spencer. It's, it's I feel bad for the people who are developing the game. I feel bad because now people are making these judgments about the game when they don't even know the context of the events that are happening in the game because they just read a quick little excerpt about a spoiler about something. It was like, oh, and they don't know it in context, and they're freaking the fuck out about it. I don't know. I, I just, it's a terrible situation. It's and I've I've got no vested interest in this. I have no dog in this fight. I just feel bad for a lot of people who are really looking forward to this game, and have had a lot uh, a lot of it ruined for them. Which is I I just feel bad about that. All right, Ike Moore writes. "Uh, Forget restaurants. I miss trailer releases, dude. I miss trailer releases too. Uh, Our studios holding off on them for now because I feel you can still do them uh, for at least home releases. It's expensive putting cut like you got to spend money to get proper trailers put together and then you got to spend money to buy placements for them now you can still put them together and drop them on youtube but What's the point? They don't normally do that for home releases. They don't feel the need to spend that money. So, yeah, until they know when their movies are going to be playing on screens, we're going to see a lot of lack of trailers. Now, by the way, there are still trailers coming out for smaller films that were already done and just some post-production, smaller indie releases and things like that. But it's going to be a little bit like before, because I love the big trailer releases, too. It's going to be a little while before we get back to that. All right. 24 Savage writes, Thoughts on the dragon fart scene in Doodle Little. The same thought I had about the movie as a whole. It was terrible. A terrible, terrible movie and a terrible, terrible scene. Uh, the Wakandan Forever writes, uh, Forgive me, John, yesterday I was trying to make a silly WWE joke that went wrong. No disrespect to the show or to the fans. That was not awesome. I don't even remember what the question was for Wakandan Forever, to be honest with you, so don't worry about it. Wakandan Forever also writes, Do you think China would have worked as a WWE champion? No. Uh, as the ninth, ninth wonder of the world, I feel her charisma and physique... Uh, was unique enough to have a title run and be believable as the champ. No, no, not even China. Uh, not even China would have been believable as a WWE champ. So, no. Uh, and I like China, by the way. She was one of the first celebrities to follow me on Twitter. Uh, so China will forever have a special part place in my heart uh, but no she never would have worked as, as WWE never would have gone over uh, as WWE champion she was the I believe they did a fluke thing where she was the intercontinental champion for a moment I think anyway Wakanda Forever writes Brock Lesnar and Ronda Rousey became champions of both UFC and WWE who else would you like to see make the switch my dream um, Andre UFC champ uh, Diaz brothers WWE tag champs um, jr ufc commentator no no jr would not be a good ufc commentator not at all and the diaz brothers would not make good ufc guy or wwe guys they're just physically too small you got to have some you don't have to be the biggest guy in the world to be in the wwe um but you got to have something there those the diaz brothers who are two of the baddest dudes on the planet but they just don't have the physique to go in and be in WWE. So no, I I don't think that would be a crossover that would work personally. I don't think that would be a crossover that would work. Uh, a Kane Velasquez has a kind of body that can do it and maybe he will. He's already kind of you know tested the waters of it a little bit but I don't think the Diaz brothers would be right for that All right, Michael uh, Marusio writes anything worth watching from South by Southwest on Prime Video I haven't really checked it out myself unfortunately I think the whole idea that moving the film festival on the Prime was a great idea but I haven't really checked that out myself at this point Uh, Wakanda Forever also writes Who is the greatest wrestling mind of all time? Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Paul Heyman. A great documentary of the WWE, WCW, and ECW era. Thanks again, everyone. Stay safe and have a nice day. The greatest wrestling mind of all time is Vince McMahon. He's he changed the industry and he built wrestling to being what it was. When you look at what wrestling was back in the day, like little like regional things. And he turned into a monster empire. The greatest wrestling mind of all time. It's not popular, but it's true. Is Vince McMahon. Uh, Zaya writes, my number one guilty pleasure movie is Transformers Dark of the Moon. I would even say it deserved its three Oscar nominations for sound editing, editing, missing and best visual effects. Well, listen that none of those categories have anything to do with the quality of the movie right those are individual disciplines that's why people go why did Suicide Squad win an Oscar because in its category the category it was nominated for which I believe was uh hair was it hair and makeup I think it was hair and makeup it was either hair and makeup or costume design I'm gonna go with hair and makeup but in that year the people of the hair and makeup people in the division th- didn't care about the overall quality of the movie they cared about that one specific thing and that was best so they won it i have no qualms with a movie like transformers dark of the moon which i thought was a terrible movie but getting a couple of those technical category nominations i have no i have no qualms with that whatsoever because there's a lot of the stuff in the different disciplines that it did really really well all right jared's reviews writes uh bring on the filthy hoodies no zip pullover Oh oh yeah. Oh no. The ordered one ordered one. Sorry. I I forgot. You ordered one of the bring on the filthy hoodie pullovers. Thank you. Jared's reviews. I appreciate you picking that up. All right. Santas Henderson writes Endgame had to be the best movie experience of my life. Portal still gives me chills. I just wish I had the same crowd. Uh, I just wish I had the same crowd I had at the theater, dude. I'm telling you what we were just talking about that. And again, that type of experience isn't for everybody. You know, TJ Lin wrote in a little bit earlier, talked about how that experience really wasn't for him. Uh, he didn't really like, he doesn't like having a lot of noise. But, Santez, you and me both, I love being in these types of movies. And, and, and Endgame is just a good, extreme example of it, where you have this incredible audience response. And to just be there and be a part of it is so great and so wonderful. And I saw—I forget how many times I saw Endgame in theaters, but every time the theater, the the audience was rowdy and having a good time, and it just adds to it. Like, don't get me wrong, watching Endgame at home is fine. It's fine. It's still a good movie, but it's not the same. It's just not the same as those times I saw it in theater with an audience. It's just not the same. Uh, So I feel you, Santas. All right, Murray Reich writes, uh, I saw Bad Education. And I thought it was great. It was wonderful. It's the new Hugh Jackman film that's on HBO right now. I reviewed it yesterday. It's fantastic. Um, I love these true event cover-up scandal movies. Uh, like I saw last year, Dark Waters, which was also great. That was one was with Mark Ruffalo, uh, which was also great. It's funny, last time I saw Jackman in such a film was in 2018, The Front Runner. That one was pretty good too. And Yes, and that one was directed by Jason Reitman, I believe, uh, who is directing... The upcoming Ghostbusters uh, relaunch, which a lot of people are very excited. I love Reitman uh, as a director. I think he's fantastic. Uh, but yeah, Bad Education. Murray, I'm so glad you enjoyed it because I wasn't really sure. I mean, listen, it's got Hugh Jackman, Alison Janey. I- I'm expecting for it to at least be decent. Didn't really know what to expect from it. And I watched it. And I'm like, I was riveted. I was riveted the whole time. And even right up to the end of the movie when they put the text up showing where are they now, things like at the end of the movie, even they were just continuing the gasps. Like, like oh, my God. Like, for such a simple story, it's a movie about a couple of school administrators who, who embezzled some money. That doesn't sound like earth-shaking cinema, but they made it so good. So, yeah, guys, do check that out. Do check out Bad Education on HBO. Uh, Murray also writes, any other true event scandal movies uh, you or Rob can recommend that are good? Uh, off the top of my head, I'm sure there are a bunch that I like, but off the top of my head, um, um, gosh, JFK <laughs> by Oliver Stone. Uh, that's what, Look, a lot of good true event movies I love, and probably a lot in the last couple of years. I just, I just can't pull it off the top of my head. But I'm glad you're recommending Bad Education. Murray Reich also writes, I also thought I also saw Extraction. And I thought it was pretty good. I think the only reason why I loved uh, it was because of Chris Hemsworth, badass, killing mofo left and right. Otherwise, the rest of the film is just okay. But I'll take it. I feel the same way. Well, listen, the action scenes in Extraction, which is the Netflix film, which I think it's a bad movie to me. It's a bad film, but great action. The action is top notch. Like, absolutely top-notch. Now, I'm not saying the action is as good as the John Wick action, but it is comparable. It's comparable. It's incredible, and the way it's shot is fantastic. The only thing is, John Wick is a much better movie when there's not action going on than this movie. It's just horrible, horrible fake emotionalism in it and these bonds and relationships have formed this completely unbelievable and all of a sudden this 14 year old kid has an advanced psychology degree and it's just bad there's no depth there's no anything everything about it is artificial but so much of the movie is action and the action is so good so that's why it's one of these rare films it's one of these rare movies that to me i go i think it's a bad film but I do recommend you watch it. Like, how often do you say that? I think a movie's a bad movie, but I think you should watch it. That's what Extraction is. It's a movie that I think overall is a bad film, but the action is so unbelievably good, I gotta say, but I think you should go watch it. Because I think there's some good times to be had watching this movie. And I say that as somebody who doesn't think it's a very good movie. But there's definitely something to appreciate about the movie because of the extreme action. Anyway, uh, Checkmate Nine Moves writes, uh director change up game uh where my buds and I pitch a movie this week Tarantino's Toy Story, Spielberg's Halloween, Woody Allen's Star Wars, Who You Got? Oh, that's easy to me. Spielberg's Halloween. I don't think Tarantino could do a Toy Story movie. That's just not in his wheelhouse. I don't even think he would know where to start. Um, same thing with Woody Allen. Woody Allen could not do a Star Wars film. Spielberg doing a Halloween film? Look, we've seen Spielberg do every kind of movie. That would be intriguing. Now, I would much rather switch that up a little bit, Checkmate, and say Spielberg's Star Wars. That I would be more interested in, because I've always wanted to see a Steven Spielberg directed Star Wars movie. But out of those three, I I think the one with the most potential there is Spielberg's Halloween. I'm going to go with that one. All right. Interesting. I like that. I like that little game. All right. Isaac Beebe writes, John, I watched X-Men First Class, Days of Future Past, Apocalypse, and Deadpool? Um, All for the first time the other day on Disney+. Plus. Oh, Dark Phoenix, not Deadpool. X-Men Dark Phoenix on Disney+. And I can confirm that each film had one F-bomb that was not edited or removed. Even the shot of Logan's uh, ass in Days of Future Past remains. So why um, add the hair in Splash? Uh, We've gone over this about 10 times already. The fact of the matter is, they're not on Disney+, Plus in the United States right now. And I can guarantee you, when Days of Future Past does hit uh, Disney Plus in the United States, they will block out the bare-ass shot on, on Logan. They don't have it in that on other countries right now, but they will. Look, I, I still got to tell you, I have no idea why people make a big deal out of it. I really don't. There's a lot of other things Disney is <laughs> Disney's doing that's really questionable for us to talk about. Having hair... Not editing out a scene, but just having CGIing some longer hair on Daryl Hannah to cover up bear ass, so they feel comfortable putting it on in the United States, family friendly. I don't. I really don't. Understand. I think it's honestly people just getting upset because they want to be upset. I don't, I honestly don't see the big deal. But um, when it comes to the X Men stuff. Well, listen, and and language with family friendly, uh, the odd language thing is treated not as harshly as nudity is. That's just the reality. You can agree or disagree with that, but it is the reality. It's just not treated on the same level. Uh, And you can think maybe it should or shouldn't. But again, that's not the issue. The issue is it is treated on a different level. And so I got a feeling when it does hit Disney Plus in North America, if it does at all, um, I got a feeling that will probably, they'll figure out some creative way to hide it there too. So anyway, we, we discussed that before and so now we're just treading the uh, same stuff again. All right, Mandalorian of Gondor writes, hey guys, a film that's gone unnoticed, I'm greatly anticipating is uh, A24's The Green Knight with Dev, Dev Patel. It's scheduled to be released in one month and no word if it's delayed or going to VOD. It's a smaller film. Uh, what are the odds it hits theaters? I think the odds are very small. Um, this is a... True to form for A24, it is a smaller, lower budget uh, film that I don't think was going to appeal to a lot of people. Like, even if the the lockdown hadn't happened, um, The Green Knight, which, by the way, I thought the trailer was kind of interesting, like building on the old mythology. It's it's a movie that's not going to appeal to a lot of people, just like lighthouse right i I didn't think lighthouse was going to appeal to a lot of people either so let me um how much how much did lighthouse make at the box office i'm going to go on a limb and guess it wasn't all that much it made 17 million dollars now that's fine because it was a very very low budget film i think they made that movie for like half a million dollars or something like no they made it for more than that how much did they make that movie for well they didn't make it for a lot they didn't make for a lot. A grand total worldwide made $17 million. Uh, Green Knight wasn't going to make as much as that. So I got a feeling this is one that is my guess here, and I don't know this for sure. I'm not claiming any insider information. I'm just saying my guess right now is would be, instead of just sitting on it for longer, I have a feeling they'll probably put it onto streaming because this wasn't going to be a movie, a movie that made a big amount of change at the box office anyway. So I've got a feeling it'll probably be on VOD. And I'm looking forward to seeing it too, personally. I just don't think a lot of other people are, unfortunately. All right, Anthony Lucalano writes... Over under 20%, we get Godzilla's famous victory dance at the end of Godzilla versus King Kong. Well, first of all, you're assuming that he's going to be victorious, which I'm not so convinced about. I will go under 20%. I would not say under 5% because I do believe there's a possibility, but I will take the under on that one, Anthony, that we get the Godzilla victory dance. All right. Stubble McShave writes, uh, one of two. You got a question on the difference between plot and story. I would answer it like this. Plot is the skeleton of the story. That's I, I like that analogy. I like that stubble. Um, it's the events that need to take place in order to get from A to B to C. Story is the character motivations interactions. I like see the way I kind of defined it, and I think it is a little bit semantic, but I I agree with you. I like your analogy here. See, plot to me can be summed up in two sentences. Story is something you can sum up in a couple of paragraphs. Um, But I like I like your definition there stubble. He also writes the relationships between characters that are covering the plot skeleton an example of a movie uh, That's all plot and no story is in the heart of the sea If it had had more characters and relationships and motivations, it could have been good. Yeah in the heart of the sea I'll, I'll tell you what that there are a couple of movies That in the past bunch of years That have come out that on the surface. I instantly think oh my god this is going to be an Oscar contender, uh, like Gangster Squad with Sean Penn and Ryan Gosling. And I think Josh Brolin's in it as well. Anyway, Gangster Squad. I thought, oh, my God, this is going to be such an Oscar bait kind of movie. This is going to be so good. And it was so bad. The other one was Ron Howard's In the Heart of the Sea. the Based on the true story that Moby Dick was based on. And I thought, oh, my God, you got this. It's based on true events. You got Ron Howard doing it. Chris Hemsworth's in it. And, and he was really good in it, by the way. The movie is awful. Oh, my God. There is no movie. And that's a good example. There has There was a plot, but there was no story. So I think that's a pretty good example there, Stubble. And yeah, one of the most disappointing films to me. And I love Ron Howard, which is part of the reason why I was so disappointed in The Heart of the Sea. I thought for sure that was going to be an Oscar contender film, and it just ended up being terrible. All right. Russell Amador writes, hey, John, it's being reported down here in Texas that we are going to be reopening this week. Uh, this means movie theaters and restaurants will be open and operating at 25% capacity. There is hope. See, here's the interesting thing, though just because in some states like georgia is another one i believe that was saying like movie theaters can open that's great but that doesn't necessarily mean the movie theaters will open for example amc theaters is not going to reopen they're not reopening in georgia they're not reopening in texas uh i believe regal is not reopening right now so you, they can, if they want to, in those states, reopen those doors. But I think a lot of them are still planning on keeping their doors closed for now. We'll see what happens. Again, there is a big question of legal liability right now that needs to be answered by, by lawmakers. Because one of the things that movie theater chains are desperately afraid of right now is if we open our doors again, if we open our movie theater again, And let's say a patron comes in and they get COVID-19 from another patron or whatever. Are we liable for that? Can that person who caught COVID-19 at our theater, even though it wasn't our fault, it was somebody else who came, whatever, can we be legally liable for that? And can we be sued for that? That is something right now that movie theater chains and their legal departments and lawmakers are desperately trying to figure out. Because that, makes a, that creates a very, very dangerous situation for the movie theaters. So, yeah. Just because things are allowed to open right now, I don't know that a lot of things, particularly movie theaters specifically, are going to open right now. But we'll see. But you're right. It is at least a sign of light at the end of the tunnel. Kind of like when I went to the store the other day and there was to- lots of toilet paper on the shelves. Yay! A li- just a little sign. A little sign that there might be some light at the end of the tunnel, which is always a good thing. All right. Uh, Nerd Talk writes, a couple of movie recommendations, both Bette Midler movies, since she is one of my favorite actresses. She's delightful. Uh, Beaches and For the Boys. So I'm actually not a big fan of For the Boys, although I know a lot of people like that movie. That's great. That one doesn't work for me so much. But I, I, I love Beaches. I love Beaches. I think Beaches is a beautiful film, you know, and it's not just because wind beneath my wings it comes from that movie. It's not even just because of that, although it's beautiful. It is a beautiful movie that is emotionally powerful the ending is fantastic i i love beaches it's it is one of those films that would be categorized as a chick flick but i don't care about the label it's a wonderful movie emotionally powerful moving great character development the relationship between the two leads is fantastic and i love it i love that movie now, again not so big on for the boys but i do love beaches all right d.a miller writes hello john my list uh, of 70s movies that you should watch, Outlaw, Josie Wales, uh, Young Frankenstein, American Graffiti, of course, the the film that put George Lucas on the map. Well, I, I mean, his, his short film is what put him on the map, but American Graffiti put him on the map with the wider audiences. Uh, Enter the Dragon, Animal House, The Sting, My Guilty Pleasure, Corvette Summer, and Meatballs. Okay, Corvette Summer, I love Meatballs. I love Meatballs. I watched that so much when I was a kid. I probably shouldn't have been watching it, but I watched that movie so much as a kid. I rented the VHS of Meatballs so damn much. I, now, it's been a while since I've watched Meatballs. You got some great classics on there, man. Animal House, obviously, The Sting, American Graffiti. And there, by the way, when you go back and watch American Graffiti, and I know there are still a lot of people today who have never watched American Graffiti, but it's George Lucas prior to Star Wars. it's American Graffiti is what allowed him to get Star Wars made at all. But you'd be surprised when you go back and see who's in it like from a Harrison Ford or a young Ron Howard. And so it's funny when you go back and see who is in that movie. But yeah, I think American Graffiti is great. I think American Graffiti is a really, really good one. Of course, Outlaw, Jonesy Wales, Young Frankenstein. These are all classics too. But I'm really glad you mentioned American Graffiti because when people talk George Lucas, they just never seem to bring up American Graffiti and they should. All right, Diamond Dog's Puppy Rights. Hey, John. In your opinion, between Alec Baldwin, Harrison Ford, Ben Affleck, and John Krasinski, which actor was your favorite Jack Ryan portrayal? Also, what is your favorite Jack Ryan film? We'll take John Krasinski out of it because, I mean, he's got to be in multiple, 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 multiple episodes. He got to play it over many, many, many episodes. Let's just stick with the movie once for now. Um, the best Jack Ryan film to me is still Hunt for Red October. That's still... Now, I love patriot games i love clear and present danger uh, i even like the ben affleck uh morgan freeman one uh, i even like that one but the best to me jack ryan movie is still hunt for red october that movie is that movie stands up that's a movie you can show to somebody for the first time today and it totally stands up sam Neill is so great in it i would have liked to have seen montana I, it's just oh so good so good um but i'll say my favorite jack ryan is harrison ford again his portrayal in both clear and present danger and patriot games so on the note alec baldwin was great in hunt for red october don't get me wrong but my favorite jack ryan is harrison ford my favorite jack ryan movie though is hunt for red october all right uh john martin writes uh grand budapest hotel Uh, Got its Criterion collection release. Yes, it did. Uh, Got its Criterion uh, collection release. Uh, A great movie. Have you seen it? And where does it rank in your favorite Wes Anderson movies? I like Grand Budapest Hotel very much. I I think it's actually great. It's got that, it's quick and witty, and it's got all the Wes um, Anderson uh, personality to it. I don't know that it ranks in my top three or four, though. I don't know that it ranks in my top three or four. My number one, I think, I mean, you're talking about Life Aquatic, Steve Zissou, Darjeely Limit, and there's a bunch of great ones, but for me, it's the Royal Tenenbaums. There's just something about Royal Tenenbaums that I find so, well, all of his movies are quirky, but there's just something about that that really kind of epitomizes his style. And I mean, the, the, the collection of cast, which again is kind of stereotypical for his movies, but the collection of cast, the wittiness of it, The quick pace of it, uh, the, the quirkiness of it. I don't know. For me, it's just it's Royal Tenenbaums. But yes, Grand Budapest Hotel is wonderful. Uh, mason writes can i get a birthday shout out i'm turning 30 today and it's my fifth year anniversary as a fan hashtag stay filthy and thank you for being an amazing youtube sensation in my opinion well thank you so much for that mason it's always nice when people want to write and say something nice and happy birthday to you sir may you one have a fantastic day and number two may you have a triumphant year ahead of you filled with glorious victory Uh, i hope you have a good one and dude thanks so much for watching the stuff for as long as you have i really really appreciate that and again happy birthday to you so i hope that in the midst of the lockdown you're at least able to get together with one or two close friends or loved ones today to celebrate if not celebrate a little bit later as you enjoy the rest of the year so have a good one mason and thanks for writing that in man all right just have time for a couple more here guys raymond Verrata writes since you love movie musicals i'd like to recommend lost horizon 1973 i'm not familiar with that one based on the james hilton book about uh, shangri-la it features timeless music by by burt ladies and gentlemen burt baccarat um uh, living together and question me and answer not well. Well loved enough, but great music Let me I do not think I'm familiar with this one now watch me pull it up and go. Oh, I do know this one But I I don't think I know this one. Uh, what's it called again a lost horizon? Um, IMDb all right 19. Oh, I'm looking at the 19. Oh, so there was an original one. No, that's a plane crash. So there's a 1937 movie called Lost Horizon as well. Let's see this one. No, I'm not familiar with this one. While escaping war toward China, a group of Europeans crash in the Himalayas. Oh, maybe it is based on that, where they are rescued and taken to the mysterious valley of the blue moon, Shangri-La. I always think of the Flintstones. So is it based on the 1937 one? A plane crash delivers a group of people to seclude. Okay, so the 1973 one is a remake of Frank, carpas 1937 one see i'm learning stuff new stuff every day so let me see if i can bring this up here so yeah we've got the 1937 version uh the 1937 version a bunch of plane crash bring to shangri-la and then we've got oops then we've got the 1973 version uh which is clearly a remake of it so Interesting stuff. I'm learning new stuff every day, and I wasn't even familiar with it. I might have to check that out sometime. Some point, Raymond. Thanks for pointing that out, man. Okay. Next up, Daniel Hinoja writes: Watch JFK 1999. We were just talking about JFK. JFK you know, and What a masterpiece in editing. Well, actually, it won the Academy Award for best editing. It won several. It won at least a couple of Academy Awards, but editing was editing was one of the Academy Awards it won. It was also nominated for best picture. Oliver Stone was nominated for best director. <clears throat> And trying to remember the other, I believe it won two Oscars, and I'm trying to remember the name of the other one that it won. But I remember it won the Academy Award for best editing. It's a it's a wonderful movie, and yes, tremendously edited film. An Academy Award winner, as a matter of fact. All right. Uh, Latin Shark956 writes, John, you should check out a video game called Poker Night Two. It may be a good game to stream. I'm always down for a good poker game. Of course, I I was streaming playing uh, World Series of Poker online last night. Uh, I'll probably do that again. I had a good time doing that. It was pretty fun. It's nice and chill and relaxed and it's easy to talk and answer questions in between hands. So it's a really good uh, game for that. But Poker Night 2, I will, you know what? Let me bring this up here. Let me take a second and go la la la. Uh, Poker Night 2. Game. Oops, I accidentally typed fame. It should have been game. Poker Night 2. All right, there it is. It is a game that came out when? When did this come out? Oh, in 2013. It's a poker game developed by Telltale Games, who did, like, The Walking Dead and the Batman Arkham games. Telltale Games. It is a sequel to Poker Night and the the inventory and, like its predecessor, features crossover characters from different franchises. All right. You have piqued my interest. I will have to check that out. Thanks for putting that on my radar, Latin. All right. Lord Vanderkill writes, no question. Just thank you and stay safe. Thank you so much, Lord Vanderkill. That's awfully nice of you. And I hope you guys are staying safe. Remember, do the important things, guys. The four important things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, take care of the people around you. Do all four. It's important. Thanks for the well wishes, Lord Vol- Vanderkill. I appreciate that. All right. Next up, James Welsh writes, has Anne met Jeff Bezos? If so, what he, is he like? No, Anne has not met Jeff Bezos. Uh, she's never even been to Seattle. Uh, which is where her office is going to be at the Amazon headquarters in Seattle. But with everything locked down, she's still here in Los Angeles. She's working from home, probably will be for the next couple of months. But no, she has never met Jeff Bezos. Uh, Adam Turchetto writes, my recommendation, don't watch Gods of Egypt. Believe the hype. It's terrible. Erg, two hours of my life, I won't get back. It is awful. That movie is awful. You know who owns the Blu-ray of it? Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert Meyer Burnett is one of the defenders of Gods of Egypt. I am with you, Adam. The movie is absolutely horrendously bad, absolutely horrendously bad. Uh, but yeah, I'm not really sure what it is uh, that that. But again, that's the highlight. Film is subjective. Just because I watch a movie and doesn't and don't like it. Another film fan may watch it and have a completely different experience with it. That's the beauty of movies. And as, as awful as I think Gods of Egypt is, Rob actually has an appreciation for that film that's the beautiful thing about movies All right, last question of the day guys Justin McCollar writes the Wall Street Street Journal is reporting Trolls World Tour has made more money so far than the original did in it's five month theatrical run so maybe New Mutants will do much better in VOD as well here's the thing I read that I don't know what they're talking about and I don't know what in context because the movie is only made about like the original Trolls made over 300 million closer to 400 million I think it was over 350 million dollars The first Trolls made over $350 million uh, theatrically. They're reporting, I believe, $95 million is what they're estimating that Trolls World Tour has made on its VOD release. And I don't think that's counting the massive cut that the streaming providers like iTunes and whatever, the cut that they take not to mention they spent all the money on the marketing campaign. So I, I read the Wall Street Journal article and I'm reading the numbers. And I'm like, wait a minute, what, what are you saying? I, I don't know what they're talking about because that's completely not true. That by their own numbers that they write in the article, that is completely not true. Because again, not even counting the cut that the services keep, because iTunes keeps a big chunk, but not even counting the cut that the services keep, they're only re- reporting that the movie's made about 100 million whereas the theatrical movie made over 3 I can't remember the exact let, let me look it up but it was over 350 million dollars hold on a second trolls box office let me see here sorry it was just under 350 it's 346.9 so 347 million dollars is what trolls made theatrically and they're saying that trolls has made like just under a hundred million on streaming. I don't get what their thing is. And, and another. then I was reading another website that was asking the same question. One of the other outlets was saying, okay, so so-and-so is reporting this, but that doesn't add up. So I, I'm not quite sure what it is. But hey, listen, one of the great things that Trolls was able to take advantage of was the fact that it had its full theatrical marketing campaign. They did all of their trailers and all their stuff and and raised awareness. And listen, I'll tell you straight up, it has done better on VOD than I thought it would. It still hasn't done great compared to a theatrical release. though. So I'm not quite sure what it is they were talking about. There's some other outlets writing about that as well. So I'm not quite sure what context they were referring to that in. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I have to read more into that. I have to do more reading into that because I only had a very, very short amount of time this morning uh, as I was reading it and started to research it. To figure out what it was They were referring to I'm sure there will be Some clarifications Coming out though To structure what it is They mean by that In context All right, anyway guys That will do it for me For today's installment Of the John Campion show Thank you so much For being here And being a part of the show guys It's always great When you want to take A part of your day And decide to spend it Here with us And guys special thank you To all of you Who sent in the questions Not just because you gave us Great fun things to talk about But also because You supported the channel While you are doing it And listen guys I got an announcement to make That I forgot to make at the beginning of the show. This is important. We were planning today to do a live stream view watch party of of, um, Step Brothers, one of my all-time favorite comedies with me, the Patreon supporters, and those of you who went and made donations to Feeding America. Um, We were going to do a live watch party of that today. However, I have decided to move that because I forgot that today was the day that Rob, if he can get his computer working properly, uh, today's the day that Rob is doing his live stream of his 400th episode celebration, and so I made the decision that we will do our our view watch party uh, tomorrow. Uh, not that you know, uh, it, it's just what it is what it is. But I I just I just didn't want to have that overlap with Rob's thing, so uh, I'm going to move that watch party to tomorrow i'll make an announcement i'll I'll put that up on twitter as well but just so you guys know if you hear any other people in the fan community asking what about this we're going to move that off to tomorrow because i want to keep the runway open for rob's uh, 400th 400th episode uh, celebration of his observation show. So I want to leave that open for that. Uh, all right, guys. That will do it for me. Thank you guys so much for being here. It's an honor as always. Don't forget, Robert will be back tomorrow once we'll get his computer problems fixed up. Robert will be back tomorrow. Make sure you come back and join us then. My name is John Campy and until next time, guys. Bye-bye.